0: Now, the truth is, I don't know what he said, and you don't know, and no cult or any other group or pastor or preacher or evangelist knows either, the only one who knows is God Almighty and at least the Apostle John.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogie, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 10 of our study of the Revelation. In a message entitled, God's Mighty Angel and Little Book, we were introduced last week to a second mighty angel who we are told places one foot on water and another foot on land. This symbolizes God's reclamation of earth for mankind, having allowed it to be under the control of Satan after the fall. Dr. Brogy noted that the little book which this angel brings with him is given to show that Jesus has authority to take the earth. This imagery is seen in numerous places throughout the Bible. It's noted in Psalm 8. And as we return to our message, Pastor Carl points to it in Hebrews 2, which refers to that psalm. Let's rejoin him as he reads from verse 6.
0: But one has testified somewhere saying, now wait a minute. Does the writer of the Hebrews have a memory lapse? Oh, somewhere, can't remember where. No, not at all. This man obviously knows his scripture. He perfectly quotes the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible. He's not forgotten anything at all. This is just a, a writing style to drive home a point. You come into my office and you say, you're down in the dumpster. You say, I just don't feel like God loves me. And I say, isn't it testified somewhere that God so loved you, the world, that he gave his son? That's what the writer is here. That's the force of the statement. He's again proving the superiority of the new covenant over the old. And so to establish his argument, he wants to first establish the original destiny that was revealed by God. Stay with me, verse 6. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now do we not yet see all things subjected to him? All you have to do is look around, and it's obvious that man is not exercising dominion over the creation. Every time I go fishing, I'm reminded of this. I try to outsmart the fish and try to get them to jump on my hook, but they don't ever listen to me. I have to go to one of those stock ponds if I'm going to catch anything. In fact, not only the fish, but the birds and the animals. We used to have a dog named Jenny. And that dog, Jenny, never, ever, ever seemingly listened to me. Uh, just a few Wednesday nights ago, I was mentioning the two madmen of Gadara and how Christ cast 2,000-plus demons into the pigs. And, of course, you teach that passage sometimes, and people get all bent up, like, why did Jesus destroy 2,000 good hogs? You know, that's a lot of bacon or whatever. And and uh, But someone came up and said, Pastor Carla, is it possible for an animal to be demon-possessed? I said, yeah, I had a dog once named Jenny. She was demon-possessed. And uh, thank God she went home to be with the Lord. (laughs) I wonder if there's gas chambers in heaven. I'm not sure. I shouldn't say that. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. Again, when Adam sinned, He immediately lost his kingdom and his crown. And because we fell with Adam, the earth is not subject to man and even the ground. We now work through the sweat of our brow, through the thistles and thorns. And every time we see these extremes in the weather, it's all a reminder that the creation has fallen. Now look at the first half of verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We do see him, and so now the writer takes the principle, and he applies it not to Adam, but to the Lord Jesus to give us the answer to our dilemma. Jesus became a man. Why? That he might suffer and die. That he might recapture the dominion that was lost. We just read in Psalm 8. You have put all things under his feet. This was God's original intention. All sheep and oxen. And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the pass of the sea. When Jesus was on this earth, he exercised dominion over the creation. In Mark's account, when he describes the 40 days in which he was tempted in the wilderness, he was there with wild beasts, and not a one harmed him, on his triumphal entry We are told that he came on a colt that had never been ridden before there on Palm Sunday. You try to get on a colt that had never been ridden before, and you see just what happens. Jesus exercised dominion over the fish. He commanded them into the nets. And on one occasion, he said, Peter, throw your hook in the water. And the very first fish that he'd already commanded to swallow a fish that you will land on your hook, you can go pay your tax in mine. And he exercises dominion over the birds of the sky. My son Jordan, years and I, years ago, were in the Ukraine, and we stayed in one particular house, and about five feet outside the window was this rooster. And I want to tell you that rooster started around 3:30, 4 a.m., and it seemed like he never quit. Now I suppose I could have taken a shotgun and killed him, but listen. Jesus had dominion even over the birds. He knew the precise time that rooster would crow in order to send Peter a signal. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Jesus who created the angels for a short period of time as he took on our humanity was made lower than the angels. He took on a restriction that angels don't have. Angels can't die. But when Jesus took on our humanity and he carried himself there to Golgotha and gave his life in our place, he shed his blood. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels. Verse 9, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, he did it that he might redeem the world. Now, John assumes you have that theology now, if you lived 50, 75 years ago when people didn't watch TV and spend their whole lives on Facebook, they might have had it, but not in our day. So that's why I took the time to give us that theology. Look now at verse 2. And he had, Revelation 10:2, and he had in his hand a little book which was open and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, in Bible times, when a conqueror overthrew a nation, if he was claiming a piece of property on the shoreline, he would do this exactly, and he would hold up his right hand. And he would claim it in the honor of his conquering that place. Christopher Columbus did that when he planted the flag of Spain on that island. And even the Americans did it when we put our flag there on the moon. This method has been used for time and eternity, it seems, to claim something. But here's this strong angel who claims the whole universe in essence for Jesus. Remember in Colossians 1, I read it to you earlier, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens... And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, you may own a nice piece of property somewhere, a piece of land, but and you may own it outright. You've got the title deed, but before you own that land, someone else owned the land. And before they owned it, someone else owned it. And God says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is coming back and he's going to claim it all once again. And so according to verse 3, notice this angel cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. So this angel With a loud voice, a phony megalay. We reverse the words and we get our word megaphone. With a loud megaphone voice. Like the roar of a lion. I was a boy and I was in a zoo one time. And all of a sudden that lion in the cage roared and I about jumped five feet. My dad laughed. I could still picture it in my mind. There is a roar and ominous noise that a lion makes. And so here is this strong angel with identifying with of course the lion of the tribe of judah jesus is not only the sacrificial lamb he is the lion of the tribe of judah and of course uh he roars like a lion not something that's incommunicable but something that is very clear as we'll see in a moment and though satan has temporarily taken control the announcement is jesus is coming to take it back and so when we come to the next chapter we'll say the kingdom of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so we're told as this angel cries out with this loud lion's voice, notice, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now step back. Let's not get lost in the forest. Let's keep the big picture. Here's this mighty, strong angel who descends from heaven in a cloud. He places one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea, and he shouts something so loudly that it reverberates like a lion's roar followed by seven peals of thunder. Now, eight times in the book of Revelation, thunder is associated with the voice of God's judgment. In many other times in Scripture, it's used to describe God. For instance, in Psalm 18, King David said, "'The Lord has thundered in the heavens, "'and the Most High uttered His voice, In Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. In Job, the 37th chapter, God thunders with His voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. In the 40th chapter of Job, can you thunder with a voice like His? And so here in this verse, we see the number seven, which we've already studied is the number of completion. And so the seven peals of thunder would imply that the full and complete revelation and all the details with those judgment is about ready to occur. Now, please understand, this is not just some loud sounding boom like before a thunderstorm at your home. This thunder says something. It communicates. He hears it, and he wants to write it down. Remember, on three occasions, God the Father spoke in Scripture. Do you remember? In terms of in the new covenant time of Jesus' life on the earth, he spoke at his baptism. He spoke at his transfiguration. And the third time, if you remember, he spoke just as he entered there into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And of course, when he did that at his triumphal entry, the Bible says the crowd who stood by heard it, and some said to one another, he has, it has thundered, while others said, an angel has spoken to Jesus. But John understood this thunderous voice as the voice of God. Notice verse 4. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Now follow this. John says, I was about to write down what I heard in the thunder, but God says, keep it sealed up. In other words, don't write it down. John, don't reveal to anyone what you have just heard. Do you know how much ink has been spilt as to what this thunder means and what was said. There are whole internet websites by some real wacko quackos who say that God told them what was in the seven thunders. Cults love to bring in extra revelation and manipulate the word of God. Now, we're told at the end of the book that God is very clear that he's given us everything we need to know, and he hasn't held anything back in Revelation 22.10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And yet, with this particular message given in the seven thunders, he's not permitted to write down what he specifically hears. Now, the truth is, I don't know what he said. And you don't know, and no cult or any other group or pastor or preacher or evangelist knows either. The only one who knows is God Almighty and at least the Apostle John. Now, all Scripture is profitable. Every word. And so why did God allow us to read this morning about seven peals of thunder that represented some revelation of God? And then he doesn't tell us what it is. To me, this is one of the clearest passages of something you will often hear me say, that while the word of God doesn't tell us everything that we need to know, it tells us what we need to know. It's not exhaustive, but it is certainly sufficient for everything that we need. Is that not what Moses said? The sacred things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe the words of the law. Even John wrote in his gospel, and there are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. In other words, we only have a fraction of what Jesus did and said while he was here upon the earth. Some of us would like to have some additional details. What was he like when he was 8 years old? What did he do when he was 15? God doesn't tell us. Now, there are books, even extra books, pseudepigraphal books. is one book that talks about Jesus as a little boy. He has 12 clay pigeons and does a miracle on them, and they turn into live pigeons and all this nonsense. But here's the thing is that while God's Word is not an exhaustive record, it is a sufficient record. And that is something that we need to know. Certainly, I'd love to read another Sermon on the Mount, but God gave us only one. There are some things that we don't need to know. And Christians are always trying to go to some new seminar and read some new book, and nothing wrong with those things. As long as they get you into what we do know, the Word of God. Now, that's the angel's appearance. You say, this is going to be a long sermon. I'm actually almost done. Secondly, there's the angel's announcement, the angel's announcement. I suppose if God told us everything we needed to know, our spiritual circuits would just burn out. Look at verse 5. Then the angel, whom I saw standing in the sea and on the land, lifted up his right hand in heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and earth and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, and that, that there will be delay no longer. Now, the announcement is pretty amazing, not just because of what the angel proclaims, but how he does it. Like a person in a court of law, and I'm told this is where it originates in America. A lot of the things we do originate from the Bible. And so you go into a court of law, one hand in on the Bible, right hand in the air, and you make a commitment to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, clearly, this strong angel cannot be the Lord Jesus because in the way in which he takes this oath. Certainly, there are times in Scripture where God swears by himself, right? There are three different occasions in the Scripture because God can't swear by anyone higher than himself. He swears by himself to underscore the absolute certainty that what he's telling you he is going to do. But here, this strong angel does not swear by himself. He swears by him, God, And that was Jesus, because we just read it from Colossians, who created heaven and the earth. Very important. And since God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, then God's judgment upon it is absolutely just. Look, if God did not create the heaven and the earth, as the evolutionists would have you to believe, then he would need permission to judge the heaven and the earth. But as the creator, he is able to do exactly what he is going to do. And so the angel says, there will be delay no longer. Now, unfortunately, though it was understood in the 17th century, it's not understood in our day. The old King James, unlike the new King James that follows the NAS here, says there will be time no longer. So some people think there's no time in heaven. We talked about that back in the eighth chapter. Even in one of our hymns, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. No, there's time in heaven. We've already seen the tribulation saints saying, how long, O Lord? We see time designations, 42 months, three and a half years. We saw 30 minutes of silence in heaven. We saw the day, the month, and the year that God designated for something to happen. But what he is speaking here is of delay. There will be delay no longer. What God said through his prophets, it's called the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, a day that has never been fulfilled, though the amillennials writes it off, spiritualizes it, makes all of Revelation history with the exception of the 19th chapter. Listen, this is going to happen. Look at verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants. The prophet. A mystery, of course, we've studied it. It's a sacred secret. It's a secret that God reveals to his people. You know, think about the awful thing we've witnessed this week. It just was heartbreaking, wasn't it? It is heartbreaking. I just feel so bad for those families as we see this shooter coming to this school once again. And of course, people ask me all the time, what in the world is, are we coming to? I mean, what is happening? I'll tell you what we're coming to. We're coming to Jesus. He's coming back. He's going to fix it all, my friend. We are seeing a nation and a world that is stiff-arming God Almighty. We said we don't want God, and we have to figure out all these things now of what we're going to do, and I thank God for our police and even our FBI. They're human too. But listen. We need the Lord God as our protector. As a nation, if we say no to God, our whole freedom as Americans is built on a Judeo-Christian ethic. And if that ethic is gone, if it dissolves, then you have to remove freedom. We saw it at 9-11. We can't greet our loved ones anymore at the gate, can we? Freedoms are being evaporated. Why? Because our morality is dissipating as a society. This kid isn't mentally ill. He's evil. It's not a sickness. It's a sin. It's not a weakness. It's a wickedness. And he may even be demon-possessed. For all I know, he has some of the characteristics It's an awful thing. The wrath of God is filled up. It's finished. And we're going to see it begin to spill. That brings us finally to the apostles' application. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands in the sea and the land. John now gets his order. You know the voice. We've studied it already. It's Christ in heaven. And he's told specifically, so I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. God is giving him an object lesson. Truth, understood and digested, can cause at times bitter tears, and at other times it can be sweet to your mouth. And by the way, this concept was not totally strange for a Jew in the first century, because when a little boy and girl learned the alphabet, they would literally make those Hebrew letters out of flour and sugar. And once they mastered the letter, they would be able to eat it. And so he's giving a picture here where he takes this little book and he literally eats it, and it's a bittersweet kind of thing because the Word of God can be both. Look at verse 10. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, Here John displays a physical reaction to what a believer can know spiritually. On the one hand, it's sweet. There's an anticipation that God is in control, that God is in charge, that all of the rebellion of this world is going to be fixed. But there's also a bitterness to it. And the trumpet and the bold judgments that are going to come, it made John nauseated. And they, the voice from heaven... And the angel on earth, they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. In light of what John has just been told, he's going to prophesy again of the seventh trumpet that contains seven bowls, and we're going to read about it. Now, how are we going to apply this today? Let me suggest three applications. Number one, ask yourself, are you satisfied with what God has revealed or are you looking somewhere else? Again, Christianity today is always looking for some new book, going to some new seminar, listening to some new message, some new conference. Nothing wrong with those things if they plunge you into the Word of God But unfortunately, we live in a day where the modern church does not believe in the adequacy of the Scripture. So a pastor will not stand up here and preach for an hour. He will entertain, and they will have skits and all kinds of nonsense. Why? Because they do not believe the Scriptures are adequate to change lives. Listen, the Word of God is sufficient. God gave us everything we need to know. He hasn't shown us everything, but everything that we need to know, He has given us. Secondly, ask yourself, are you internalizing God's Word? Are you internalizing His Word? See, the direction the angel gave John the Apostle was to eat it. What is he underscoring? That you are to take the Word of God, and in Paul's words, you are to let it dwell richly in your inner man. The Word of God is compared to food, bread, milk, honey, meat. We see Ezekiel and Jeremiah the prophets literally eating the Word. And God is underscoring once again in Scripture that it's not enough for you to hear it and read it. He wants you to digest it, to take it into your inner person. And in some occasions it will be sweet, And on other occasions, it will be bitter. Finally, are you willing to deliver the truth you have received? The average Christian in America no longer shares his faith. I mean, that's just the truth. The average born-again believer no longer takes people through the plan of salvation. And we wonder why America is going to pot. Why don't they? Because they're lukewarm. They're entertained by all of the things around them. Look, when you're in love with someone, you talk about that. I had an engaged couple in my office, and they couldn't help but talk about each other. Why? Because they're in love with each other. When you're in love with Jesus, you'll talk about him, even if people don't like you because you love him and you want to obey him. Now, the truth here of verse 11 was that it was not enough for for John to internalize the truth. He needed then to deliver it, to write about it, to preach it. And we're going to see that beginning in our next session together. Look, it doesn't do you much good if you know that the wrath of God is real, but you never ever warn anyone about the wrath that is coming from heaven. God wants you to assimilate God's word, but he wants you to disseminate it as well. And if you share the love of God without the wrath of God, or if you share the wrath of God without the love of God, then you have been out of balance. The the truth of Scripture is both sweet and bitter. You can't just talk about God's love and not His wrath. You can't just talk about God's wrath and not His love. If you take one truth and you emphasize it to the exclusion of another truth, then you've made that one truth an untruth. No, we are to preach the whole counsel of Scripture. We are to disseminate the bitter parts, and the sweet parts. Otherwise, we have loveless truth or truthless love.
1: To listen again to today's study entitled God's Mighty Angel and Little Book, use the Search the Scriptures app or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV25. Search the Scriptures is committed to introducing Christ to those who don't know Him and growing believers in their walk with Him. Join us in our mission through a one-time or regular financial gift. Details are available online at searchthescriptures.org or through the Search the Scriptures app. Simply click the Give button. You can also call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we move into Revelation 11 and look at two witnesses from another place. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.